Tonight's discussion with Ben Stewart about the dangers and opportunities of 5G has been divided into two parts due to its length. This is part number one. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. So, uh, welcome to the show. Anyway, it's great to have you all along. We have um, a a very interesting topic on tap for tonight. It's uh, about 5G. Our guest will be Ben Stewart. He'll be talking about the technological innovations that 5G will bring but also what threats and risks does it bring? It's going to be a really great conversation. I'm looking forward to this. I have been looking forward to it for a while. And as I said, tomorrow night, booze, brews, and bros. I want to make sure that you know where the YouTube channel is because I need you to subscribe. If you haven't subscribed yet, go to YouTube, search for JV Johnson, and make the subscription thing by clicking the icon. It's free. There's no charge. Do it, please. Also, our Twitch channel getting a lot of steam. You can go to Twitch and find us at JV Johnson. And when you do that, you, uh, you just follow. Or there is a subscription option which gives you a lot of perks and benefits. And if you have Amazon Prime, you can s- subscribe for uh, no additional fee. Just use your Amazon Prime account to support the Twitch subscription. And let's see, have I co- covered everything that I like to cover? Podcast. Of course, we have a podcast version of the show. And it's available on all major podcast distribution platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and others. So if you're a podcast fan, that's a great way to enjoy the program here and the interviews that we have. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Joha. That's J-O-H-A-W. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is going to be a fascinating discussion because we've all been hearing reports of the benefits of 5G, of the risks associated with 5G, of the benefits of artificial intelligence, of the risks of artificial intelligence. Plus, we're living in a world right now that is far different than it was even just a few months ago. Our guest tonight, Ben Joseph Stewart, is a filmmaker and a musician. He makes audiovisual art for the conscious community. Before his touring rock band uh, Hero Sonic disbanded, Ben had already launched his third full-length documentary with global viral attention, including Esoteric Agenda, Chimatica, and ungrip. Ben, welcome to Beyond Reality. It is a real honor to have you here tonight. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So um, I just have to ask you about a few of these things you did. First of all, did I pronounce the name of your band correctly? Is it Heros- Herosonic? Close. Hierosonic, Hiero. like hieroglyphics. So gotcha. it just stands for sacred sacred noise, sacred vibration. So um, as a musician, uh, what role did you play in the band? Guitar player? What, what were you? I was a singer, songwriter, and... Nice. Um, we did a we did some um, composing our music uh, ourselves using Pro Tools. So I was also doing a lot of the the composition and the structure uh, of the songwriting. But yeah, we toured we toured pretty heavily, and I was just mainly the singer on stage. 
Oh, that's a lot of fun. I'm actually a musician myself, so I can appreciate that fully. I write and I record and I've done a bunch of that stuff myself. I keep thinking that maybe back, you know, when I made career decisions, I should have spent a little more time trying to become a musician. But now I look at the music industry and I say, wow, it's a tough, it's a tough business right now. Yeah, I started, I would say back in 2002, I got into my, um, the most recent band, Hypersonic. And um, that was when people were buying CDs. And then yeah. uh, shortly thereafter, that just wasn't the case. And Spotify and Napster and all those things really changed the landscape. So, yeah, you're right. I have to ask you, um, do you think people appreciate music less when it's so readily available? You basically can listen to any song, anytime, anywhere, uh, whether it's on your smartphone, your computer, in your car, whatever it happens to be, it's all always available. It seems to me that makes it a little less uh, valuable or maybe just less appreciated. Yes, that's a good point. Um, I'm not really sure because, you know, I, I think that, um, man, the music industry is so young. If you think of it in like, you know, human terms, it's, it's so young yeah. and it's going through all these iterations with the advancement of technology. And so I think maybe some people who remember the old ways, uh, kind of miss, the, the simplicity of, remember when you used to get an album and it oh, had yeah. a cover and you used to hold it in your hand? Nowadays, it's a single with an image and maybe it's a moving image. and um, It's just a different kind of landscape. So I can't really say what the people today appreciate more. I'm, I'm 37. I remember holding CDs and even cassette tapes in my hand. <laughs> well, I'm a little older than that, and I just broke my turntable out of the mothballs. Yeah. Set it up, and I've actually been doing a weekend show here where I incorporate the turntable, and I play 45s, and I play albums. And uh, I actually, uh, just to give you a little of my background, I owned radio stations for a very long time as well, and every station I bought had already made the transition to at least CDs, if not complete digital audio. But they'd always have these archive of of albums that would be in a basement somewhere. Some of them just, you know, ruined because they've been damp or whatever. But I always harvested them, not always for the vinyl inside, but because of the cover art. It's so cool. It really is. You know, I always appreciated bands like Nine Inch Nails and Tool. They came after that, you know, vinyl revolution, you know, in the CD era. But they still really appreciated that thing that you hold in your hand and the, the, the cover art, the inside art. Um, it's a craft that, you know, you don't see as much uh, anymore. And especially now, post-coronavirus, it just seems like everything is further moving digital and, and leaving the, the other world. And I know we didn't schedule you to come on to talk about this topic, but I do enjoy talking about it a little bit. And one of the things that I really like when it comes to album cover art, I love old, like 50s, 60s, and even into the 70s country artists' cover yeah. art because it's so sincere and it's so basic and you know it's just i don't know it's heartwarming in some way i feel you i feel you i mean <laughs> like I'm, I'm thinking back to some of the ones um that i've seen but um for some reason my mind keeps going with um henry dilt was this uh photographer and he did the morrison hotel oh yeah stores. Mm -hmm. he also did um i think it was crosby stills and nash uh, maybe not with young it was it was the cover where they're all on the couch on the front oh porch, yeah mm -hmm. it's iconic sure yeah. yeah, and those those types of simplicities, like when you used to just see the band sitting there, but that it was just such an iconic pose or an image. Um, I miss that kind of stuff now too. There's a lot more of the Photoshop and the the. I wouldn't call it gimmickry, but it's you know it's it's the flashy stuff that you can add on top of it, which also kind of takes away from just the simplicity of snapping a pic, and that's like that's the image. 
The um, introduction I read uh, when I brought you onto the show here uh, mentioned that you make audiovisual art for the conscious community. What is the conscious community? It's really, you know, that's my uh, call out or flag for a specific kind of demographic. And it's because, you know, I'm, I'm a musician at heart, but I really moved deeply in the middle of my um, being in a band into making independent documentaries. And that just took off into its own life form. And I, I was making all the music, all the soundtrack for it. I was doing the voiceover. I was doing the editing. So it was, it was a nice um, deviation into a different kind of way of putting all of my art. Um, but... Um, but, yeah, so the, the, the conscious community, I guess I would say, is really, man, it, it's, it's such a broad topic. But the, the ones that I'm talking about, the ones that I would call my tribe, are the ones that um, understand that we're here for more than just survival. And it's really, we're here to thrive. Art is a huge part of that. And I think the conscious community seems to get that, you know, um, Whereas we may may not all agree on the on the little things, but the really important things like understanding the importance of community, understanding the importance of even the simplicity of touching the earth, of of getting back into nature, of uh, remembering some of the old ways where uh, you know we used to get together in person. Remember that, and you know, That's like right. dance around the fire, maybe hit a few drums, play a few um, songs, use our voices in a sense, commune with one another in those ways. And so, like, that to me is, is my call out to that tribe. The conscious community are those that um, they're thirsty for knowledge, they're thirsty for new kinds of art, new ways of expressing one another, and always looking to learn and grow. That's who I would say the conscious community is. You um, also have taken um, quite an interest in, in researching and talking about uh, new technologies and um things like artificial intelligence. How did that start for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, my interest in artificial tech, uh, artificial uh, intelligence specifically, it began years ago. Um, I think one of my favorite books that's come out recently was with Andrew Smart, and it was called Beyond Zero and One, Machines, Psychedelics, and uh, AI, I think, or Consciousness. And it was really just kind of talking about the, the differences Whereas before there was this old idea that, you know, like you can never replicate biology with technology. Um, and I think a lot of people were, were kind of maybe missing what thinking machines really are. Like they don't have to think exactly like us, but they think nonetheless. Um, this thing called Google Brain is an example of that, where its sole purpose, its genetic makeup, if you will, the algorithm, uh, has an adaptive gene on it, which I think all humans do. We, we're here to adapt to whatever the new environment is. Um, and so I think the thing that got me into technology and really looking at it is the more I began accepting that, okay, you know, maybe th there were all these, like, naysayers saying it, th there's no way you could ever get it to think or be intelligent or be anything like us. Uh, I think there was a big, you know, a blank spot in our vision to see that, but, but they are thinking in certain ways. And then the more I started researching how technology is being used today, I started finding out that, you know, like let's say in China, 123 cities are smart cities uh, where they have city brain. And basically that's uh, an Alibaba-produced 
algorithm that lowers traffic, and it's just constantly monitoring that. But it's not all that it does. Um, it, it does quite a bit more. And, you know, as we, as we move into this new world, it's going to do quite a bit more just because uh, technology is about to start communicating with other technology without our input far more than it already is. It's already doing that, but we're, we're talking about a quantum leap into an, a different kind of world. So once I started realizing that this isn't just a fascination of a subset of the world, it's really the direction that the entire world and the economy is really focused on. So when I started realizing that, okay, this is, this is part of a much bigger um, game, a much bigger agenda, uh, a much bigger um, fascination with humans, private, public, national, independent, whatever it might be, um, this is the direction that everything is going. And it's also driving directly into the heart of something I've always been into, and that's just discovering what is consciousness. How, you know, like, how are we conscious beings and how do we bring more consciousness into our lives? Um, I find that fascinating. So it's, it's funny that that leads me directly into my fascination with technology. We kind of jumped on this train in, in a full uh, commitment manner uh, when I think smartphones started to become an, uh, an essential or at least a, um, an integral part of our daily lives. And I don't think there's any turning the train around, but who's driving it? Who, who has picked this direction for humanity that has decided? Usually it's consumer demand and consumer trends, at least for our nation, which tends to drive uh, the world economy. But I'm not, I'm not sure that that's where this is coming from this time. What are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, this time, you know, specifically when talking about this time, uh, we're talking about the jump um, in generations of telecommunications technology. So uh, if you think back, uh, 1G, the first generation of telecommunications, was that brick phone. Um, once you got to 3G, you know, past the Razors and the Nokias and the, those smaller, yeah. uh, in the, you know, that was 2G. 3G was the beginning of the smartphones. 4G is where we have the much better smartphones that we have right now. And, um, and 5G, it's, it's different because you're right, consumer demands, um, that's, that's a huge part of the ecosystem of, um, let's say, impulse that drives this innovation. We're, we're making all this technology because people want it. Um, and in 5G, I think it's just we're getting closer and closer to the other side of that pendulum where it's not just the people because a lot of people are speaking up and most people are just used to getting the next generation of telecommunications and the next uh, iPhone or Android or whatever it might be. We're just used to it now. Now it's part of our, we're already like nodding our head to the song, if you know what I mean. We're, we're already into it. And so I think the big drivers that we're talking about now with the jump from 4G to 5G are the major telecommunications um, industries around the world. Now we're talking, you know, big Telecom is bigger than big pharma, and I think big ag maybe combined. Uh, I'd have to check on that. But it's a really, really powerful industry, but it's not just one organism with a few people at the top. We're talking many different factions. So China is far ahead of the United States, supposedly. According to some people, they're, they're far ahead of the United States in 5G technology, and that's why there seems to be just such a race in the United States to catch up 
because, you know, if you look back through the, all the revolutions, you know, you had the Neolithic, the stone tool revolution, the, um, all the way up through the Industrial Revolution, it's getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Every time we have a revolution, you know, we just had the information revolution. Now some people are saying this is the augmented era, uh, the artificial uh, intelligence era, but we're moving quicker and quicker into these things. And so I think that the, the driver of this is um, quite a few different private industries. Um, some in, in China are uh, not private, obviously, but I think it's these kinds of interests. And there's a lot of, man, there's just so much media now around 5G on both sides. The really excited, the really scared of it. And I know that there's a lot of... Um, you know, I know this is a you know a, an inflammatory word, but there's a lot of fake media on both sides, yeah. and a lot of this is being driven by competitorship. Um, it's very easy to see that, um, but there, there's also this confusion aspect of it, where when there's too much of the fake, then it's really hard to parse uh, what what you're actually looking at. So in all of my research, I can throw a bunch of names at you like Huawei, obviously AT&T, and just go on and on all the way into what Africa or what China and the U.S. are doing in Africa with telecommunications. I think it's these companies, um, but then I also, I mean, man, I come from, you know, a conspiracy background, so there's people that I used to connect with that are saying now, no, it's, it's even smaller, um, and, the, you know, it's, it's smaller and fewer hands that it's actually being controlled by. Um, and it's just the illusion of there being all these separate companies that are thinking independently. So I'll, I got to be honest, you know, like the, the deeper I look, the more I feel like I'm understanding what it is, but who's driving it is still slightly a mystery because there's about three or four very active theories going on out there. You brought up China. You've mentioned China several times already, and China seems to be the center of many conversations that revolve around many, many controversies, especially recently. But let's talk about China from a technological standpoint. Here we have a nation that, what, 30, 40 years ago was basically almost a third world country. Um, and suddenly they are becoming a technology leader. Now, my first question is, when it comes to 5G or some of these um, advanced communication technologies, are they responsible for uh, uh, developing and uh, discovering these technologies, or have they pirated them from elsewhere and become leaders in their production? Well, that's a very good question. So that's that's part of... Um, so if you look at Jeff Brown's work, uh, he, he did a really good interview, actually, with um, Glenn Beck. Uh, and w in his interview, basically, what he was saying is that, um, you know, Glenn was asking, well, why does it seem like China is so far ahead of the U.S. Uh, in 5G technology? And he, he said, well, you know, they're, they're farther ahead in some ways, but they don't have the, let's say, the, the steering wheel in their own hands, or the, their, it's not their foot on the gas pedal, um, because apparently, and I'm forgetting the exact number, but I think it was somewhere around $300 billion came from China to basically plant people in U.S. and other countries, but in U.S. companies, um, specifically around superconductors and, uh, or I'm sorry, semiconductors, and, um, you know, obviously, you know, computing. And, um, and to, take that, to take that technology, to take the IP, 
and basically bring that back to China. And there have been many cases where people have pointed the finger and said that that's happened, but apparently there was $300 billion put towards that. So some people are saying the only reason why they are so far ahead is because they got really good at copying at the world and using their, um, let's say, cheap labor to, to manufacture it far cheaper in a way where, I mean, one-third of all the world's manufacturing really comes from China. So when they notice a disturbance, so does the rest of the world. And we saw that in, um, in the, the fallout and the quarantine of the coronavirus. Uh, now, the interesting thing about, um, about this debate, like, you know, how, how did they get so far ahead of the United States? Some are saying that. Um, and I do believe some are saying that they are where we're going to be, uh, the U.S. is going to be in 2025. Um, they're basically like five years ahead, but it's almost like it grows almost like in dog years at some point, because if you're ahead, you're, all, you're also growing faster. Right. Um, so there's that factor. And, and so it can, can get kind of convoluted, but you know, in a way, I really feel like that's been one of the main focuses of, you know, let's say President Trump, even before he got into office, he was talking about, we need 5G, we need 6G, that's and right. we need it quicker than China. So there's, there's really interesting things around that. Um, you know, I, I think there, there's more at play than just China and the U.S. here, but, you know, but it is quite interesting that there, you know, again, this year, 2020, has been quite revealing. And, I mean, if you think of 5G, basically China is the first to fully blanket a city with 5G, and it's not just doing that. It's the Internet of Things is coming alive where – more so, there's more security cameras there, there's more surveillance, there's more algorithms that are great with facial recognition that are basically tracing every, every human who is in their city. They have a map on, they know what they're doing. It's creating data points, and it's not humans surveilling it. It's actually the, this Alibaba uh, and various other algorithms that are monitoring and observing human activity and creating massive wealth of data. So, you know, I'm sure you know big data is bigger than big oil, and that only recently within the past few years happened. But here's the thing. It's going to, uh, I believe, exponentially grow in that direction for two reasons. One, we keep moving towards that. Um, everything we do, every technological jump like 4G to 5G is going to uh, produce its own data, within its own data. So it's not just every time a human does something, your data gets shared with these data companies. It's every time your computer talks to your refrigerator or talks to the chip in your child's diaper or a pill bottle, right? This is what we're talking about. Everything like these are going to be talking with one another. So there's that. And then also it's, you know, big data is getting bigger than big oil because I'm not sure if you know, but like Zoom in nine years um, just, I think it, it, it's just ridiculous um, how big of a company they've gotten. Uh, all of a sudden, it's you know because of the coronavirus quarantine, they became bigger than I think it was the top twelve, maybe top fourteen airlines. And when you say there. bigger, you mean as market capitalization? Is that what you're that's, talking about? That's that's what it looks like, and yeah. this is specifically coming from um, Valuetainment on YouTube. So that's that's just something that I learned from there, but. The, what it seems like is the world is, is also, like we were talking about with music earlier, is pushing more into the digital world. 
and, you know, maybe people aren't traveling as much, that'll probably come back to a big degree, but who knows if it'll return to where it was before. Yeah, I think a lot of speculation is it is that it won't return to where it was before. At least many of uh, these industries that have been hit hard by this coronavirus situation won't return for a decade or more, a lot, what a lot of people are speculating. Um, yeah. when, we, when we talk about China and, and, and the fact that they manufacture a third of all manufactured goods in the world. I mean, they they had, and I'm not sure we're here to talk about China specifically, but I find it amazing right. that and, you know they came into the world marketplace with labor costs that were a fraction of the developed world, with no environmental regulations that most of the rest of the world uh, contends with, which makes manufacturing more expensive, um, with, with a lot of the uh, hurdles that... Uh, an American company would face not in existence. Um, so they, they, was that an intentional uh, effort by their, on their part or did it just, were they just in the right place at the right time? Well, I mean, here's what I would say. I think this goes back farther than most people's um, let's say ideas of how far it should go back. I mean, I, I think it goes all the way back um, a couple hundred years and what's been brewing this entire time you can look at it economically in the past 30 years, um, which is really interesting because if you do look at the past 30 years, they went, I think, I'm forgetting the exact, I think it was 1978, the, the average, I, th- I think it was the vast majority of China's population was living on $2 a day. Yeah. And it turned around just after um, the turn of 1980, and then they've just obviously they've been on the rise ever since, and now they're they're the number two economy that we're looking at. And so the interesting thing with that is that's um, what's called Thucydides' trap. I'm not sure if you've heard of that, but basically that's Thucydides was one of the first historians, and he basically just he was saying that it was the rise of um, Athens and the fear that it instilled in Sparta that made war inevitable. And if you um, basically Thucydides' trap was proposed by uh, a scholar more recently that basically said out of 16 cases where there was a superpower and then another power rising swiftly through the ranks, that 12 of those 16 ended in war. And so that, that those odds don't look great when you're looking at what's happening between China and the U.S., but, you know, the, the way that I look at it and the way that you explained it, where they don't have a lot of the hurdles that we would have, um, you know, it is, it is quite interesting. And there's people like retired um, Brigadier General uh, of the U.S. Air Force, Robert Spaulding. He believes that China really is this, this big global problem that we have to deal with. And they're, they're kind of opening up of their, you know, um, you know the, the strong communist side that they've had uh, into being a little bit more part of the global economy, he's saying that that was part of their trap and that this has all been a big part of their ploy. It's like a Trojan I horse. Personally, I, I don't know that because I've heard several several disagreements with that that hold some weight. Um, and I don't think that we can just say China is the problem. Obviously, that's a little bit too much of a blanket statement. But uh, were they planning this? And was it was it not a beautiful chess move? If that's what it was, I mean, it was it was delivered perfectly because look where they were 30 years ago. Right. Look where they are now. Yeah, I, I see it kind of as a Trojan horse. You know, they they kind of pretended to be something. And yet all along the way, they they 
cheat a little here or deceive a little here or lie a little, whatever it happens to be. And again, that's not our focus for a conversation. Let's turn this to 5G because, you know, we throw this 5G uh, term around a lot. And other than thinking it's the next uh, best technology for cell phones, what exactly are we talking about when we talk about 5G? Yeah, so 5G, again, the, the, the big idea is that, oh, well, 3G to 4G, all those jumps, that was all just faster phones. Um, and really, it will. It will totally be a faster phone, but that's just like the tip of the iceberg, and we're, we're missing the bigger point here. Um, we're talking it's going to be 100,000 times faster, meaning 4G is a garden hose of information where 5G is the channel that can hold an entire car. So we're talking massive um, bandwidth difference. But in order to do that, uh, it's not going to be done in the same bandwidth. We've, we've already saturated the, the bandwidth or the frequencies um, that we're using for 4G. So now the technology needs to turn into a different frequency. So it's, it's high-band 5G, which is, you know, when we're talking about the, the ones that are the concerning frequencies, we're talking from 20 gigahertz all the way to 100 gigahertz. Um, and so the, the frequency is different. And that also means that it's a smaller, more rapid wave, and it can't penetrate what the, the longer, slower waves could in the 4G world. So in the 5G world, now you need to have a bunch more infrastructure loaded onto buildings in the city, onto light poles, existing whatever, and then also all these satellites up ahead, um, and thousands of satellites going up. Um, and this is from many different uh, companies. But the biggest thing that I see that I think people are, are missing when we're talking about 5G uh, in China, it's a huge jump in surveillance and tracking and AI surveilling and tracking people. It may not turn out to be exactly like that here in this city, but we also have this thing called Agenda 21, then it turned to Agenda 2020, then it turned to Agenda 2030, and that's what we see now, but it's called sustainable development where everything is turning smart. So where you had a smartphone, now you have smart watches, uh, smart cars, you uh, eventually have smart cities, and that's what city brain in China is. And that's, again, 123 cities in China, whereas here you take all of our cities and you turn them into smart cities. They, they do miraculous things. Like they can, if you have a self-driving car, um, it will lower traffic. The algorithms that are monitoring traffic will lower your traffic time by, let's say, 15%, and that's incredible. And your car knows if it needs to, to put air in the tire. Um, your refrigerator knows if you need ketchup. Your pill bottle is telling you if you need to refill your prescription. But it's not telling you that, actually. It's telling the grid, the 5G grid that. So what it's doing is it's communicating on your behalf, and Amazon eventually, with predictive shipping, will be like, okay, um, your refrigerator is getting low on these products. We're just going to ship it to you. And statistically, if uh, less than 5% of our um, products get returned to us, we're still making a pro uh, profit. So what we're talking about here is a different world where the thinking that we used to have to do is being outsourced. So a lot of those pesky tasks, like, oh, man, i gotta, I got to fill up the refrigerator, and then, yeah, i got to pick up um, this from the pharmacy, and, you know, man, I can't keep this all going in my head. Well, you actually have the computers doing that for you, 
but the fear that people have is it's the same thing that people have always feared when it's you know technologies uh being this supposed liberator but it's you know it could potentially take over turn into an irobot or a terminator situation that's like the far out extreme but the very next level of it is where there's a digital imprint of you now with pictures that you don't even realize you're in footage you don't realize you're in your voice on uh, microphones picked up in a city that you don't realize was ever picked up, all a part of what the computers know about you now. And that shouldn't be much of a problem. Like, if you're not a bad person, you got nothing to hide. That's what a lot of people hide behind. But the thing is, is privacy changes when we're talking about this. And most people don't know where their data is going. They have no idea how it's being used to sell you products or if eventually that data is going to be openly shared with police departments or a bot that's looking for crime and it just happens to see something sketchy about you. Again, if you're not doing anything, maybe it picks up nothing. Um, but this is the 5G world where there's a lot more computers thinking, creating data, communicating to other computer systems without human input. So what we're talking about is really we're launching into that futuristic world that we've been watching in Hollywood all along. And what is it about 5G that makes this possible? Is it the fact that so much more data can be can be transmitted and received through this system versus our current technologies? It's that matched with the fact that we are there with certain kinds of technologies. Like, so we we have such good facial recognition software at the same time as we want to go to 5G to open up more bandwidth get more data transferred so these advancing technologies are are helping us figure out some of the problems of slow advancing technologies and that could be algorithms like algorithms how to that are there to figure out how to make better algorithms you know machines that are there to build better machines than we could um, and I think really, you know, what we're talking about is 5G is in from 2020 right now all the way to 2030. I think the world is going to change more in this decade than we've seen in the past hundred. And I really mean that. Um, it's going to be so drastic and so dramatic. But it's also because this is a meeting point of a bunch of different factors. We have um, increased bandwidth. We have these satellites. We have the, um, let's say, the, you know, the geopolitical situation that can allow for um, intercontinental and international communications, data transfer. We're able to communicate ideas and thoughts um, to people around the globe better than ever in history, as far as we know. And we also have the technologies like Google Brain, that it's an algorithm that its sole purpose is to to figure out what you like and to produce more of what you like so it can keep more of your attention longer on the Google platform. You know, we have other algorithms that are there to figure out your facial expressions, to know what you're feeling, to lip read, right? You know, we're, we're talking about things that, you know, humans can do, but now every computer that has a camera that can look at you can do what the most supercomputer can do because it's connected to it via the grid. So, like, this is what we're talking about. I think I talked about it on a, um, a show on Gaia with George Nuri where imagine a drone, and it's not the size of a drone. It's the size of a gnat. It's the size of a tiny mosquito. 
but it has really good cameras, really good voice recognition software, face recognition software, and it can hover around you, and you have no idea that this little thing has the intelligence of, you know, deep blue, which is one of the most, uh, if not the um, smartest supercomputer out there. So that's what we're talking about because 5G will have such amazing fidelity, such real-time transfer of data that you will never drop a call. You can download a three-gigabyte film in less than two seconds. Um, you can have holographic images in front of you that aren't jittering like you see in Star Wars when Princess Leia shows up. You know, it's not jittering. It's real-time. It's crystal clear. You can hear everything like it's right there. That's what we're talking about, and that's what all these... We, when you hear about the Internet of Things, what, what you're talking about is all these devices that we have now are communicating amongst one another and also with the ability to maybe at some point in the next decade begin replicating themselves without um, needing human input, if you will. Like they will have, when I say an adaptive gene, I mean in their algorithm, they're meant to adapt to whatever this world throws at them. So they can begin replicating themselves according to whatever constraints, like, oh, man, we don't have graphene anymore. What can we use? Oh, well, now we can graphenize hemp, and it's far cheaper. Well, a computer will figure that out far sooner than a human will. So we can't even conceive of what changes are going to happen this decade. That's why I think 5G is so huge. We can't even conceive of what this decade is going to look like at the end of it. But I think you can rest assured that there will be massive I wouldn't just say job losses because that's a scare tactic, you know, or maybe not a scare tactic, but it it doesn't show much of an upside. I think there will be massive economic transformation, massive transformation in uh, the human concept of what it means to work and where value is uh, derived, what part of our living on this planet and doing things and building things is valuable. I think that's going to change. Now you might see people's social media status being uh, more correlated towards how much money they have in their bank account in that kind of respect. And we're moving into virtual reality, augmented reality, where there's going to be people walking down the road and they're having full-on conversations. Oh, we're already there. You know, people have these little earbuds and they're just having full-on conversations. But we're going to get to the point where it's not even humans they're talking to. They're talking to their phone. It's translating something and it's going out, and then they're getting a news feed at just the right speed. It's like so fast that no human can speak that fast, but it's just fast enough for you to understand it, and it augments itself based upon whether it's picking up that you don't understand anymore because it's going too fast. It can slow, potentially slow itself down because it realizes that you're having a different thought and you're not focusing anymore. This is what I mean by we can't even conceive of what technology will be available to us and what that will mean for human consciousness and humanity as a collective in 10 years. Well, I mean, you've, you've said so much in that, uh, in that answer that uh, we could take this conversation in any one of 20 different directions. Um, one thing that I do want to address, though, is this privacy concern. I mean, right now we have people freaking out, and I'm one of them, frankly, uh, because if I happen to search for, I don't know, um, you know, garbage bags on Amazon, when I log into Facebook next time, everything's about garbage bags. 
And I know that they were monitoring what I was doing and, and they're feeding me all these garbage bag ads, which is, you know, which is exactly what the garbage bag companies want them to do. And they pay for that. But that in itself is a bit of an invasion of privacy. People get upset about that, but you're talking about something that's, that's, you know, a hundred, maybe a thousand times that. Yeah, yeah. You know, the privacy thing, honestly, I, I would encourage people to look up um, Tom Scott. He, he talks a lot about um, advancing technologies and what these engines and, you know, search engines, but, you know, he, he's, he's all about the engines. And when he's talking about this, he's basically, he has this entire talk called Privacy is Dead 2030. Now, that's a profound statement, and it's a profound way to, to label um, a talk that you're giving. And basically what he's saying is that, you know, and he's not putting it in this words, I, I will. He's basically saying that, you know, in order for the machines to know exactly who to connect you with intuitively. So social uh, media might be to the point where you're intuitively by the computers, by the machines, being connected with specific people that might fall into what you like. So it's like the best Tinder algorithm, um, but about anything. Um, and we don't know how that can be manipulated in that sense either. But another thing about that is you're right. You, like, you can search for something on Google and then you'll have an ad. But have you noticed that you can just talk around something, uh, talk about something around your phone and Strangely enough, there's also an ad there. I was going to ask you about that because I've, other people have reported that. I haven't noticed that myself, but maybe I just haven't been paying attention too closely. Is that a real thing? Are, are our smartphones listening all the time and using that information to, at this point, pop ads into uh, our browsing? Uh, I believe absolutely yes. Um, I think that maybe some people who don't experience it, maybe, maybe not everyone is getting targeted. Um, and it could also be like, you know, some people, they click on more links that they have no idea what they are. And back in the day, your computer would get a virus. You'd eventually find out. It would start glitching out or something like that. But then they got better and better. And I think a lot of what seems completely harmless and actually it like the link will take us to a place that gives us exactly what we're expecting, but in the background Maybe there's some kind of um, spy software. Whenever that program or that app is open, they're allowed to access your microphone in the fine print even. Sometimes it's not in the fine print, but I believe it totally is. And when we're talking about privacy, um, you know, again, I think that this decade is going to bring us surprises in, in what that means. Like, what does privacy mean? Because a lot of people are saying, you know, we want more open source. We're tired of big industries and big corporations, uh, like, hogging all the money, hogging all the great technology, absorbing all the smaller players as they're starting to get a foothold in technology and products and whatever it is. But then you look at the fact that, you know, I, I even look at it as, you know, when the Internet starts becoming, when all these devices start becoming aware of one another, who knows if they don't view our privacy as a thing, right? You know, like if, if, if it starts getting to the point where the computers are able to make decisions on their own, potentially for privacy would be the first thing to, uh, to go. And I think in this decade, we're also going to notice a lot of, you know, because everything has moved digital and now there's more cameras than ever, there's more tracing 
programs than ever. So what we're talking about is the, this computer system is going to know a lot more about every single human, whether you have a phone or not, whether you throw away your phone and try and, you know, avoid any technology, you can't help it. You walk through a park and somebody's talking on their phone. Well, there's a camera pointing directly at you. Now, those aren't always activated, but, I mean, if we move into this world where there's a company that could profit immensely by, I don't know, turning on everyone's camera at a certain time every single day to gather more data. Like, that's just a rough guess of how it would be done. But again, I don't know how it would be done. I just kind of feel that privacy privacy is definitely going to change in this decade. And I think that also goes towards there's um, really good software that checks out biometrics that can see, like, okay, now it's it's checking out your posture. It's checking out your facial expressions. And there are, there's a rhythm and a pattern to um, how even cops can tell whether you're authentically smiling or, or, you know, giving a fake one. Well, I mean, even kids can kind of tell. Dogs can tell whether, you know, you're posturing to attack or posturing to play. You know, and so, of course, computers can. And eventually we may get to the point where the computers know more about what's going on inside other people's heads than they're even being honest enough with themselves about. So imagine if you can turn that technology around, and I want to know what that person's thinking based upon their posture, based upon you know, any of their biometrics that this camera can pick up on. You know, and in those ways, I think privacy is also going out the window because at that level, you know, who's to say what's going on inside us isn't showing somehow on the outside, in our voice, in our face, in our posture, in the people that we're talking about? Because computers are already finding out, not to drag this on, but like there in California, there's uh, an algorithm that just has mapped and accurately predicted who is depressed based upon who uh, doesn't experience as much depression, based upon how far they travel to get their groceries. So there's these little interesting things that we don't, you, you wouldn't realize, but um, very, very accurately based upon Facebook likes or based upon just a certain small number of uh, data points, computers are able to accurately predict that 95% of these people uh, are going to, look like this, or they're this tall, or they're of this descent, or, you know, they, they like this kind of music, or they, they are more into Hello Kitty than not. These are all data points that are being discovered, um, and they say more about us than even we could figure out sometimes. So that's the privacy. When we're talking about the collective, um, it's a whole different ballgame because these computers are thinking in collective terms as well, and they're categorizing us. So now we're getting into a situation where, you know, what kind of job we'll get, what, you know, it's not about going in and doing any kind of um, interview in person. It might be in the future it's just going to check all of our social media, all of our data points, and it will, it will decide – uh, an algorithm will decide whether we're good for that job or not either. So are these good things? Are these bad things? Or is it just change and, and people fear change? We really do in mass. We fear change. All of this could be great. It all, uh, actually, all of it could be utopian. Um, but if you look at this, you know, the, the past however many you know, thousands of years, we haven't had an example of a utopian 
civilization. We haven't had anything we can see. You know, there's always been war. There's been famine. There's trafficking. There's all these things that we, we find disgust in. So we would hope the computers decide, you know, to help us make what we would wish to have, you know, a much more fair and just world. We would hope that these machines and the jump to 5G is really going to push us in that direction. Um, I think that we need to get involved a lot more, and more innovators and movers and shakers need to get involved a lot more. And Elon Musk has been telling us, you know, we really need to take a look at this AI thing and slow down on it. And then in his last Joe Rogan um, podcast, he was basically saying, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. So that's why he's making things like Neuralink and uh, doing all the things he is. And I think he's a genuine guy that has genuine concerns. And, I, you know, honestly, I don't think it's as simple um, as being able to say any one country or any one organization is causing this problem. I think we're still in the middle of this race for a global superpower. The United States has been it for a while, but that doesn't mean it, it will be that forever. And I think that 5G scares many people within the United States because there just happens to be a country that's a little bit ahead of us, and that country has also you know, came through the ranks. So you know, to me, that's, that's the way that I look at what's happening in this decade with privacy, with technology, and in a sense where uh, I think we need all hands on deck to figure this out, because it's not just the health issues of 5G, but I haven't even covered that. You know, we haven't even got into the, the massive health, potential health risks. Um, some people say it's just a conspiracy to slow down U.S. 5G proliferation, and some are saying, no, that's fake news trying to, by the telecom companies, telling us, oh, it's completely safe, don't listen to the conspiracy theories, let us do our 5G thing. So, you know, do we listen to these dozens and dozens of very accredited doctors that are saying this is not conducive to health, right. it sticks in your, in your tissues, it can cause hemorrhages in your blood-brain barrier, it can cause reproductive issues, it can burn the skin, you can do things like make... Uh, invisible force fields or 5G fencing is something that I just heard about, and I still need to do more research on it. But, I mean, this is nothing that anyone was talking about even in 2010, 2012, 2013. It's, it's, a, it's a brave new world. It really is. Yeah, and a lot of people in our chat rooms are asking about the health uh, issues related to 5G. And we're going to get into that on the other side of this break we've got coming up. But I've got just one final question as we talk about the privacy issues here of this new world that's ahead of us. Uh, does American-style privacy and civil rights have a place in this new world? Uh, well, say that one more time. American-style privacy? Privacy and individual rights, the, what we've been used to for 200, almost 50 years. Are you saying is, is that a thing of the past or is yeah, that rapidly does, changing? Is there a place um, for that in this new world? You know, there's a fear of that. And I like uh, what I, you know, before I give my, you know, understanding of that, I'll just tell you one thing that some, you know, many people that are connected with me, I have many feeds of people sending me different kinds of info and there's a lot of people that say that one of the big pushes here, especially right now in 2020, and which has got everybody talking conspiracy when it comes to why did the coronavirus thing happen, why was there a global lockdown, why are there all these riots in the U.S. afterwards, is to introduce a little bit more of China into the United States. And that has been the fear of some people, that 
there is an infiltration happening. And it can go silently under the guise of, no, this is just foreign, you know, commerce. That's all that is. But, you know, when you're talking about major U.S. industries in bed with industries uh, in different countries, then there's always that worry, well, is this a Trojan horse? You know, is this treason from within? I think it was Marcus Cicero that said, you know, like, we can, a nation can withstand, you know, its fools. It can stand attacks from the outside, but it can't withstand treason from within. Um, and I think that's a lot of what we're actually dealing with. Is, is our U.S. privacy going to be a thing of the past and sovereignty and all of that? I definitely think it's changing. I wish it weren't, but I definitely think it's changing. I'm the type of guy that I would love to say, you know what, if you don't like what's happening in the cities, find a piece of land outside the city and just, you know, live out in the sticks and be away from all the, the Wi-Fi and the EMFs and stuff like that. Well, you can't get away from it in the 5G world. You can't even take a boat out into the middle of the ocean because there are satellites up ahead and there will be so many satellites, and what some people like David Wolf are saying, they're not all satellites. Some of them are like high-altitude weather balloons with 5G technology in them. So we're talking about a world where, no, you can't get away from it. If what I'm researching is correct and it's not, you know, fake and fabricated because I'm going to as many sources as possible, yes, a lot of it is changing, and I, think, I do think that there are good people in the U.S., that um, that see this and wish to stop it, and they're in powerful positions. And so I do think a lot of what's happening in 2020 is a silent war. Um, it's not a war of bombs and stuff like that. It's more of ideologies, and dare I say in biblical terms, you know, dark forces and principalities is what we're dealing with. Um, I, I hope that a little bit more of our old ideals of, you know, not, not just staying conservative and never progressing and never changing, um, but being a little bit slower to it because we don't know what this technology does. And we don't have um, transgenerational studies to say, you know, it may do nothing to me, but what about my children? Now, what about their children and their children? We really don't know. But the thing is, is we are beings of frequency. All of this technology is emitting frequency that is uh, at present unknown and potentially very harmful to us. It can't be neutral. You can't just pump 100 million times more uh, EMFs into the environment and have no effect on humans. It's, it's, it, I just find that to be as ridiculous of a statement as you can get. So it's not neutral, and on top of that, we have no clue. We, there's a lot of science saving, saying it's very dangerous, and we'll get to that. But I think a lot of what America stood for is going to be a thing of the past if we do not demand control over the way technology gets implemented in our cities, because eventually we won't have a say anymore if we keep letting it go this direction. Be sure to check out part two of my discussion with Ben Stewart that examines the opportunities and the potential dangers of 5G technology. 
Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.